We gather today for the last time as a church that meets only one time on Sunday mornings. You know if you've been around, we have waited as long as we possibly could. In a social distanced world, look around. Just don't tell Dr. Fauci what we're doing. We've waited as long as we could. Next week, we begin offering a 9 and an 11 a.m. service. And I know that there is a feeling of, oh, I like gathering all of us at the same time. And I agree. And I want to tell you, the feeling of, oh, this is so bad, is a false negative. It's really a true positive. God is at work. It's a good thing. As we look back over the last five years, brothers and sisters, we have had every prayer we have prayed and then some answered. We started the pandemic singing the goodness of God. And we had no idea, but his goodness has been chasing us down. He has answered our prayers and exceeded them. He's gone beyond what we could have hoped for. Some of you remember when not too long ago when our church was kind of in revitalized mode and we, we literally asked everybody to park up on the roadside of the parking lot. Why? Because there were so few cars when we were having service. Some people would pull in and wonder, are they having church? Remember that? And now we've got more parking over at Alpine Bakery than we had up at the front of the road. Remember when we prayed over the offering containers every week because we needed the money to keep the lights on? Remember when we were told by the Holy Spirit that there would be a coming a day that you'll have to get here early to have a seat? And some of us snickered and laughed. Remember when we were told by some crazy audacious, ridiculous pastor that the day is coming when you will literally come back from vacation a day early because you don't want to miss a Sunday service? Anybody remember? I'm not going to ask to raise your hands those of you who literally came back a day early from vacation because you didn't want to miss what God was doing. Do you remember when we were praying for God to send Ten strong couples to help us shoulder the load. Do you remember we prayed specifically, God, send catalytic couples, adults who are strong enough, mature enough, and can help us minister to others and disciple others. Anybody remember that? Come on. Now look around. It's all we have are a bunch of catalytic people. I believe the finest Christian people in North Atlanta are now part of the Restoration Church. You, it wouldn't be a bad idea if you just give yourselves a hand because this is a special group of people. It's an august group that God has brought together and we are blessed. Now, as we consider this false negative, I want you to understand a couple of things. Healthy things grow. Healthy churches grow, and the growth can threaten the things that made the church healthy unless the church and its leadership remains committed 
to the things that made that church healthy. So this morning, I want to spend a few minutes reviewing who we are. I normally do this once or twice every year, and I haven't done it for months. I want to review the core values that we have as a church, and I believe it will minister to you as well. There's, all five of them are on the back, the other side of that wall in the lobby. Now, everybody listen. We don't have three words that rhyme or alliteration. We don't have an acrostic. We're not that polished. But what we do have, it may not work for a marketing expert, but these core values over the last four plus years, we have truly bought into these things and God has blessed. And the first one is we are a vertical church. Vertical. Vertical goes this way. Horizontal goes this way. We are not a horizontal church. A horizontal church asks, it starts, and the purpose-driven church is the one that made this famous 30 years ago. We ask, what do the people want? What do the people in the community value? What do they like? How can we get the people to come to our church? And for 30 plus years, that's been the question we've been asking and that question and its answers are in conflict with the questions that we should be asking. Instead of asking, what do they like? What do they value? How can we get them to come? We should be asking, what do you like? What do you value? How can we get you to come? Listen, and that's not a pie in the sky. Oh, that sounds so cool for you, Mr. Pastor. Yeah, get God to come. Listen. Yes, that's the biblical way. God wants to be where his people are, but he must be invited. We must value his presence. And so a vertical church starts by asking, how do we get him here? And listen, if he comes, they'll come. If he doesn't come, you better be good at entertaining people and having sharp programs. How many of you are thankful that God has been showing up in this place for the last months and few years. Come on, you ought to give him praise. A vertical church is we're going through on Wednesday nights. It has four concepts, four values of a vertical or practices. The first is unashamed worship. And brothers and sisters, Dean, Lisa, and I, and the staff, we talk almost daily about we value worship here, not music, not singing. It's not about a show or a presentation. Worship is very different than music. And many of us have been exposed to some like recording artists, gifted worship bands, and they spoil us. And it's not their fault or our fault. It's just such a joy in some of our churches in Atlanta to sit and listen to the people sing. And we talk about the fact that we have got to create and train a people to worship. And I will say to you, Restoration Church, what a joy it is to sit right here and to hear the people behind me singing better, louder than I hear them singing. That is a remarkable miracle. You have been trained, but you have responded. Many of you are worshipers. And may God help us to never sell out to a light show, an entertainment gig, some worship recording mentality. May we give him our hearts, our souls, our voices. May we lift our hands in worship and adoration of who he is. 
The second thing is a vertical church commits to unapologetic preaching. And it's, it's not a right-wing, conservative, legalistic, we have all the right, it's, but it is a commitment to, this is what God says. And you hear me say it often. May we preach the word with tears in our eyes because we've been touched by the heart of the one who spoke this word. And it's the word that brings life. It's the word, when the word is preached, you'll have to buy more chairs. How many of you are hungry for the word? Amen? (laughs) Thirdly, vertical church is made up of a commitment to unceasing prayer. It's the engine of the church. You need to learn how to pray. It's not just the engine of the church. It's the life of the believer. A commitment to prayer is to birth things supernaturally. How do prodigals come home? Moms and dads pray and they birth those miracles in the spirit. Prayer is the engine of the church. Fourthly, a vertical church is, it commits to unafraid witnessing. Now everybody look here. Remember back in the 80s, we had Dr. Kennedy's evangelism explosion, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And that swept the country, and it was a strategy and a training to help people share their faith. We believe two things. Number one, when the Holy Spirit touches your life, you won't need training. When God starts showing up at your church, lives are going to be transformed, and we won't have to beg you to invite people in your cul-de-sac. And um, so we don't have a training program around here. We have a God that shows up. And what he does here when we show up ought to motivate you. And it has to invite your friends and tell the people that you work with that God is still on his throne. There are churches that are still seeing the supernatural accomplished on a regular basis. Are y'all out there? I got to move quick so I don't have time to wait on you this morning. So we're a vertical church. Secondly... We remain committed to being a biblical church. And I know you go, Pastor John, are you kidding? You have to make that part of your core values? Yes, we do. We are a biblical church. And it's sad that here in the Bible belt, the buckle of the belt, every week people stand in this line and tell us, we've been in Atlanta for two, three, four years looking for a Bible preaching church. This week, I was in a meeting with four or five new couples, and a lady took the floor, and she looked me in the eye, and passionately, she said, Pastor Chuck, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you for being courageous enough to preach the word, and she waxed eloquent for two or three minutes, and my heart was just moved, and and as she finished, I said, think about that. A pastor in Atlanta is being affirmed for preaching the Bible. That's our job. That's our, what are we preaching if we're not preaching the word? And so we are a biblical church. We stand on the truth of God's word because it's alive. Hebrews 4.12, it's alive. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, verse 8, 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. The prophet said in Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. That doesn't mean altitude. His ways are better than our ways. And so he sent his word from up here to down here to get our ways up to his ways. And he said that his word, if we will trust it, it will never come back empty or void. He said it's like the rain and the snow. When it falls, it affects the vegetation in the earth. And so may we be a people that stand on biblical truth, declaring, living according to the word, because it won't come back powerless or void or empty. It will accomplish God says it will accomplish everything that I want it to accomplish. Thirdly, we remain committed to being a spirit-filled church. We are a spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel church. But we don't do crazy. Without the Holy Spirit, we are just another group of people. We may be well-meaning people sincere people, but without the welcoming presence of Holy Spirit, we are not the church. We're like an HOA group, a PTA group, or a pickleball group. Good people with a civic interest. But listen to me. The church was birthed in prayer. In prayer, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the church was birthed. And the church was not only birthed in prayer and the outpouring and the welcoming of Holy Spirit presence. It is sustained and remains the church through prayer and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not a shoulders up only church where we talk about heady doctrine. This is not a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees who sit around and want to talk about the deep, profound truths of Scripture. That's shoulders up. Nor are we a shoulders down church only. Like I grew up near in Southwest Virginia where it was about snakes and emotion and shouting only. And they didn't care if the sermon was true or not just as long as somebody could crank their engine. We're not a shoulders down only. We're not a shoulders up only. We are a spirit and truth church. Jesus said, my father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is seeking to find a church, a group of people who will worship him in spirit and truth. Truth, what they know to be sound and true. And spirit, how that truth impacts them and their emotions and their found, the foundation of who they are. You've heard me say this before. Paul is correcting the Corinthian church. When we talk about being a spirit-filled church, um, Paul, he comes in and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you guys are crazy. When non-believers come in and they see your circus, they leave and go, those people are crazy. And Paul goes, and they're right. 
You are crazy. But Paul says, I want you to do things decently and in order. When the, and he's talking in terms of the spiritual gifts. When the spiritual gifts are operative, there's a way to do them. And the word is, in the Greek is the same word we get the word plie. You know, ch- church, when the Holy Spirit comes in, he's a gentleman. He comes like a dove. He's subject to the personality of the prophet or the one who he is filling and using at that time. And Paul says when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be beautiful. It'll be de- it won't be like a mosh pit. It'll be more like ballet. It's orchestrated and it's beautiful. And so we commit here to be a spirit-filled church. But we don't do crazy. The last two verses, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Can somebody say amen to the reading of God's word? You know, and I I know that we're at a, a unique, peculiar time. Many of the people that are new to this church do not come from a spirit filled background. But listen, there's some interesting things happening in the church, not only in North Atlanta, but around the world. We're seeing now. There, there are things forming and the research is revealing a lot. And what we're finding is, number one, there are a lot of spirit-filled believers who couldn't find a spirit-filled church that they felt comfortable in because it was shoulders down only or for a number of reasons, things weren't done biblically. And I understand that. I grew up around a lot of that. But the other thing that we're finding out is that people who have never been exposed to a spirit-filled church are now coming into a spirit-filled community and they are noticing the difference. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we can't see him. But when Holy, Holy Spirit never comes to any place where he is not invited, but where he is invited, he always comes. And what we feel when we gather... The worship and the energy that's in this room. I get tickled at some of you people that go, I like the energy of this place. I know what you're saying. It's more, and it ain't the energy, it's the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he's here, listen, he's the third person, the Trinity. The Bible says, if two or three get together in my name, I will be there in their midst. So I remember just a few years ago, we 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 had begun to grow and they're probably here today, Matthew and Brandy Steinberg, and they, they host one of our small groups. And um, they, they went to school, they met at Georgia Southern, and um, they, they came from, Brandy came from a Southern Baptist background, and um, she'd been driving downtown to church, they lived not far away, and so they tried us out one Sunday, and it's like, I, she barely got home, and I called and I said, hey, will y'all host a small group? And she said, yes. And not long after that, a couple months later, knowing their background in a spirit-filled church, you know, there's that tension of, oh, don't let the crazies come out this morning. Oh, God, help us. Don't let Aunt Susie run the aisles or anybody get crazy. And, um, and, and Rick right here on the front row gave a prophetic word, a message in tongues, as the Bible teaches, can be and should be done. And Brandy grabbed her 
Messianic Jewish husband who grew up in Dunwoody. I think went to the Hebrew school. And she was like, that moment of, is he okay? And she holds his hand. She waits. They get out in the parking lot. And the message was interpreted that morning. And on the way home, she goes, Matthew, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I'm fine. She goes, did you hear that? Yeah, that message in tongues. And he said, is that what that was? He said, that was Hebrew. And he, he I can't remember exactly. And he began to tell her what he thought that Rick said in his heavenly prayer language. That's right here in this church. This isn't something that happened in Los Angeles or Rio. That happened right here. And if you know Rick, Rick didn't know any Hebrew. <laughs> right? But he knows the power of prayer, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. This is a strong man of God, a gift to this body. And, and God was saying, I, I see you, restoration. I got you, Pastor Chuck. I know that some outsiders are starting to... But remember, Paul said, when the outsiders come in and you do things decently and in order, the Bible says, they will leave and say about that place, God was there. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And, and, and that was the beginning of a trajectory of this is going to be a spirit-filled, balanced, biblical atmosphere. And some of my friends go, but doesn't that like squelch the freedom of the spirit? Doesn't that like hinder the freedom of the Holy Spirit? It actually does just the opposite because people know this isn't going to be some TBN circus. This is going to be biblical. The freedom of the Holy Spirit in worship in this place is rare and to be treasured. And I am so thankful for it. How many of you are thankful for a spirit filled biblical balanced church? And you are thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Come on. If you're going to praise him now, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Father. Thirdly, fourthly, we are a next-generation-focused church. The Bible says that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Scripture mentions the fact that God will be faithful to a thousand generations. We see this template over and over in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and said about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he said, this is for you, your children, and your children's children. And as if we might question sometime, is that for everybody? He said, it's for all those who are afar off. Yes. Listen to me, a faith that doesn't impact our marriage, a faith that doesn't impact our family life, a faith that doesn't impact our children and our grandchildren is not a biblical faith. Prodigals are coming home at Restoration Church. This is why we're fasting and praying because we are crazy enough to believe that God still does miracles. We fully believe that what happens in that other building, in that nursery wing, might just be more important than what happens in this room. We fully believe that we are, listen, we fully believe that we are raising world changers in our homes and in this church. What is happening in our world right now 
It's more about them than it is about us older folks. They are trying to program and deprogram and brainwash our children. It's always been Satan's strategy and we refuse to let it happen. They are seeking to program the next gen so that they will accept the craziness that is destroying the fabric of our nation. And that is Marxist and anti-God. They are seeking to program them. And so may we, by the power in the ministry of his spirit, program our children so that they will resolve not to defile themselves. Listen, this is why, this is why we must be intent on discipling the next generation. It's important. And moms and dads, as Pastor Ben gets ready for the fall retreat in Mentone, Alabama over the Labor Day weekend, I beg you, don't see it as optional. If you can't afford it, let us know. We'll raise the money. Somebody will pray, pay for your children. But what can happen three nights and four days away with a youth group can be monumental. It's some of you in, some of you adults sitting in this room right now, you are a teen on those retreats. And now you have your children. I beg you, not only there, but on Wednesday nights. I know my friends ask me, how do you get 70% of the church out on Wednesday nights in Metro Atlanta? And I tell them, it's because we tell them it's important. We emphasize it. My kids played travel baseball. A couple of my kids had the opportunity to play college sports. I know the demands of baseball and football and basketball and gymnastics and cheerleading. And it breaks my heart to see Christian parents who are more committed to spending their money to getting their children to some cheerleading international championship of this galaxy in St. Louis, Missouri and bring back their trophy. And what they don't understand is there's 8 million international worldwide championships going on and none of them mean a hill of beans. I said it. In, listen, don't get offended in your little cheerleading skirt and your little soccer mom attitude. Don't bring it up in here. Listen to me. I'm an old youth pastor. My greatest challenge in, the, in North Atlanta was not the children or the devil. It was parents who were lukewarm and weren't committed to raising up sons and daughters in the house. And so may we not be that. Come on. Woo. I better move on. See, but I'm, I'm, listen to me. I'm serious. I've been in North Atlanta since 1989. I've spent my whole adult life here. And some of us are, we get more pumped up that our kid made the all-star team in baseball than they got, had an encounter with God at the church retreat. And it's not even close. We have idols and we raise our children to bow down before those idols and they get what those idols can give. Trophies and distractions and false sense of who they are. We need to bring them before this God, the one true living God. Listen, when a 13, 16, 17-year-old get gets touched by the... Listen, what happens on a good youth retreat is a kid gets ruined for life. 
no drug, no alcohol, no cocktail, no premarital anything can ever take the place of the richness of experiencing the love of God. I'm preaching this morning because I believe, I feel this. I feel this. I want to say something else. When Candace and I came back, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but in many rooms, Candace and I, we were 10 years younger than everybody here at the church. And there were young couples, and, and many of them are still here, Chris and Jessica and Jared and um, Jennifer Monroe. But I, I want to say something. It's beautiful what's happened in this church. Those of you who are in your 20s and 30s, and I know many of you left a big church during the quarantine and the shutdown, and you came. And most of you, if not all of you, have stayed here. And it is an honor. It's a commitment to, to we, we make a commitment to you. One of the most beautiful things that God is doing at this church is it's multi-generational. We will not do away or devalue senior citizens. The Bible tells us they are a treasure and they have a deposit to make. They are models for us. They are tutors and mentors for us. Who's teaching? Listen, hold on. I'll let you clap in a minute. I don't have time for it right now. Listen, think about it. Barbara and Ru Russ is getting ready to turn 90 years old. Barbara's, I, you're not supposed to, she's way younger than him, but she's married to him. Hey, but in here, listen, gleaning from their wisdom. And some of you are sitting and you're 28 years old, 32, and your mom and dad never taught you how to pray, never taught you the reality of spiritual warfare. And here we have been gifted with this treasure of wisdom. It's beautiful. And I want to say to you 20s and 30s, soon you've got to be on the elder board. Soon you've got to take the mantle and the baton. And we value you and we need you. And I think of all of you. I, I've got a list of Dan and Tammy Chen, Jared and Michelle Breen. It, is, it blesses my heart. Candace and I talk about God. Because a pastor, you typically get people within 10 years. 10 years older and 10 years younger. And I'm 55. And when I see some of you in your late 20s and early 30s making this your church. And we're not the hip, cool, trendy church. We didn't set out to be that. God, by his spirit, is bringing a unique group of people together. And if we will let God continue to do what God wants to do, these, these next two services are probably going to fill up because there's a bunch of people. Twenty, three million people live within 25 minutes of this place, and they're all hungry for the Lord. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. Fifthly and lastly, we are missions oriented. Jesus' last words were, go make disciples of every nation. If you've been around here, we, we send money, we send people on short-term missions. We adopt missionaries and we become their favorite church because we are generous to them. And we give sacrificially out of this church's budget until it hurts and the more we give, the more God gives. And the more we can give. And the more we give, the more he gives. It is crazy, biblically. We will radically support missions. Amen? Amen. Our son, many of you prayed Stone is back. He was thinking about driving in from Tennessee. Stone, I don't think he's here, but 
Thank you for your prayers. He, in a crazy pandemic world, spent six weeks in Nairobi, Kenya, was the only white person he saw, except when he went to the mall. Won't that tell you how crazy dumb white people are? They hide out in the mall in Kenya. But just spent six weeks and some, some days with uh, Coleman Bailey, one of our missionaries, and God ruined him. Coming up from the airport, Kenneth and I, could, he couldn't talk without crying. I couldn't drive without crying. He, he didn't want us to take any pictures because we all had swollen eyes. But God is good. May your children soon go on one of these short-term mission trips with our student ministry and may they get ruined for the Lord. May God raise up some radical, crazy sons and daughters in this house. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm closing right here in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> in all, I've given you so far two lists. What's a vertical church? Unashamed adoration, unapologetic preaching, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. And then I've given you the list that's on that wall back there. We are a vertical church, a biblical church, a spirit-filled church. Anybody remember what the next one is? Next generation church, missions church. Now, I'm closing with one more list. And it is this. It's the commitment that we make moving forward as we add another service. Pastors, when they hear what's happening here, many of my friends have said, so what are, you, what are y'all doing? And, um, and I tell them, this is going to sound like too simple, but it's the truth. I said, number one, we have made a commitment to prayer, not just in the pandemic. How many of you have been in this church 15 years or longer? I want you to stand up. Just stand up. Look around. These people, when I got here, were still praying. And their prayers have been answered. And they have stood in the gap. And we are shaking our heads going at how faithful God has been. I think we should give these men and women a hand. Amen. That's so awesome. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. In 27 of those chapters, the people are either in a prayer meeting, on the way home from a prayer meeting, or on the way to a prayer meeting. That's why the book of Acts is not called the book of thoughts, the book of doctrine. And that's also why it says 16 times, and the people were in awe of what God was doing. The people in NIV says were astonished at what God was doing. So when my friends go, now what are y'all doing? I tell them, we've been praying. Prayer is the engine of our church. Brothers and sisters, if I could spread a virus, it would be the prayer virus. May everybody learn Some of you moms and dads that are frustrated with your family, your marriage, if we could get you praying, we could get you on the road to the supernatural. Amen? Secondly, 
We worship. I've mentioned it earlier, but he's enthroned here amidst the praises of his people. Worship is a weapon. Atmosphere is changed. Not only in this room, but in this community, things are changed. Listen, some of y'all lived not far from here. And we went to praying for you and worshiping here. And some of you literally were jogging and started coming under conviction on Rucker Road. One of y'all, God told you when you were away from him, if you can get to the church, you'll be okay. And Jeff West drove, jogged mid-30s, thought he was having a heart attack, was afraid the people in traffic thought this young man can't handle his run. He fell down on his knees and started weeping, came to the church and said, I need to see the pastor. He said, there's too many coincidences happening in my life. I think I need to find Jesus. He sat in my discipleship group for two and a half years. He may be here this morning. If he's not, he usually is. 35 years old. Worship and prayer changes the atmosphere. Some of you all were just sitting, eating your supper last May on a Saturday night when we started worshiping out in that parking lot. And now you're hosting or leading a small group. Listen, listen to me. When we start praying, I tell my children, you don't have a chance. You're not even going to have a choice. Your mother and I are praying so fervently for you. You can run, but you can't hide. You don't have it. You are not only going to love God, you are going to serve him. You're going to be a world changer. Listen, don't, don't get me going. I got cold chills going right now. Listen to me. I'm serious. That's a heart attack. I know I'm high octane. Forgive me. But some of us, we've normalized our faith and it's so far below what it can be. We need some supernatural faith, some people that'll go, we will pray these things into existence. Come on, somebody. I, I got to move on. We have prayed. We will worship. It's not about music. We will worship. Thirdly, we will preach the word. I told you last June that we are entering a new and improved normal. God has been faithful to give us so many prophetic words. God spoke to me and said, you preach the word, only the word. Don't give your opinion. Don't illustrate it with all kinds of silliness. Don't bring out movie clips. You let the word be the word. Let the word be the word. Let the word be the word. Let the word do the work. And the word is doing the work because it's alive. Now, listen, look here. We pray, we worship. He comes. When he comes, our hearts are tenderized and we can receive the word. The last three sermons that I've preached here on biblical sexuality, I know some of my friends would have been run off of their church if they had tried to say what I've been able to say to you the last three weeks. How is that? Not because I'm a gifted communicator, because his presence comes like he did on the mountain with Moses. And Moses saw God take his finger and write on stone-cold tablets. And when we come into his presence and we preach his word, he takes his finger of deliverance, Jesus said, and he writes his word on our hearts. Then what happens? We get delivered and we love him more. And the more I love him, the more I love others. And when I start loving him and loving others, we create a community that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And many of us have never been part of a real biblical 
New Testament church community. And we are standing at a, a, a unique opportunity. This is why we value community. This is why, listen, I have a prayer album with virtually everybody's family has a picture of it. But hear me, listen, you want in that prayer album because I pray over you. But I'm not going to go on your Facebook page and find a picture of you and your family and put it in there. I've said, if you'll give me the picture, I'll pray for you. Put your children's names, I'll pray for you. And God spoke to me and said, don't you go do all the work for them. They've got to operate their faith. And some of you still haven't done it. I don't know why. Either you don't believe in the power of prayer or you don't believe in the power of Pastor Chuck's prayers. I endeavor to know everybody's name. We endeavor as a staff to cover you in prayer. You don't send me your picture. I am the prayer Nazi. No picture, no soup for you. you know? Is that fair? You, you can email it to Lou at restorationchurch.faith or PC at restoration. Don't mail it to me. It may never get in there. Mail it to one of them. It'll get in there for sure. This is why we eat together on Wednesday nights. This is why we do church the way we do. We are a community. Um, we're getting ready to kick off our small groups again in what, two weeks or three weeks, whatever it is. And um, we need, listen, some of y'all that are new here, you're, you've been here six weeks. You're a veteran. We need you to step up and offer your house. And, you're, and we need you to be a leader and help us. Am I right? Turn and tell somebody. He's not talking to me, but he is for sure talking to you. Tell, tell somebody. All right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor, martyr, theologian in the 30s, 1930s. He saw what was coming and he stood against it. And he challenged as a lonely voice. He said, what these Nazis are doing is racist and it's not only not biblical, it's anti-God. And nobody listened to him. He called it early, which Eric Metaxas in his book called Bonhoeffer said, to stop the, the, the cultural tide that destroys cultures, you've got to catch it early. And Bonhoeffer did. And the church wasn't listening. Why? Because their theology had gotten sloppy. They had cheap grace and very un little understanding of what biblical Christianity was. And so what happened? Hitler came in. And by the time the church did wake up, they, the Nazis had defanged the church and had marginalized anybody that would stand up against it. And the people would say to Bonhoeffer, don't be such a hothead. We're going to wait and these are what they said. We're going to wait and see what happens. He's a good leader. He's done great things for our country. And Germany was some of the great commentaries and theologians that we still read were German. That's where the Protestant Reformation took place. The German church was not totally complete inept, but they fell asleep at a time 
when they needed to stand up against the tide. Brothers and sisters, Eric Metaxas says, we are in the exact same place right now. Now, we are not going to make politics our new religion. We are not going to make social justice our new religion. We are not going to make race our new religion. What we are going to do is we are going to be the spirit-filled, biblically-led church of Jesus Christ. And we are going to stand for what's right. Listen to me. No matter what the cost is, we are, I am going to stand for what's right. And we are going to stand against the craziness, the, the hypocrisy, the, the idea of letting us go, but going after our children, we are going to stand for what's right. That's why I read my opening verse, the text from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, which says this, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, Anybody recognize it? When warned about things not yet seen, what did he do? In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. What's an ark in the Old Testament? It's a picture of Jesus, our Savior. And it's a picture of the church, the body of Christ. I'm, I double dog dare you to get as half as passionate as me about what we're doing together. By faith, when warned about things we can't yet see, may we st stand together, lock arms, and build a church that will save our family. How many of you are thankful for Noah? Now, listen, we need the faith of Noah to vex this place. Can you imagine a hundred years how inconvenient it would be to be one of his sons. Going to school, coming back. Dad, Dad, are you sure? Now, Dad, there are no rivers near us. There are no lakes near us. How are we going to get the boat to the water. I told you, the water is going to come to the boat. Dad, I can tell you what my boat, banks would be the worst. Dad, I just, I, Dad, I can't go there. My friends think you're crazy, Dad. Dad, are you sure? Do you know what? MSNBC said about you last night. A hundred years. Genesis 6, 8 says, Noah found grace. Some translations say, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If Noah hadn't built a boat, none of us would be sitting here. By faith, may we, against all odds and what everybody says, may we build an ark, the body of Christ. And when the water comes and starts lifting the boat, 
May we leave that door open as long as we can and let's get as many people from our community in so that they can be saved. Are y'all out there this morning? Come on now, let's stand and give the Lord praise. So listen, next Sunday, if you check your emails, you check the text messages, listen, read the e-news from this week. We need a hundred people that we're calling stockholders to help us serve and attend, be a part of both services for the next six to eight weeks. We need your help. Everybody turn and tell somebody you're part of the family, whether you want to be or not. Hey, Doug, it's time y'all move back. Myrtle Beach, you need, you're here on the wrong Sunday. Sell your house in Myrtle Beach and come on back. How many of you just believe that's a word from the Lord? Listen, we need your help. Let's go take this city. Let's go take this city for God's glory. Amen. We praise you, Lord. Father, I thank you for this group of believers, like-minded people. This crazy pandemic culture has created a supernatural spiritual shift and there is a realignment. You're separating the wheat and the tares already and there is a remnant being gathered who will worship you in spirit and in truth who will stand in the gap for our children. We will fight and be determined to hold the line. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, would you just raise your hands and just tell the Lord, fill me with your spirit. Come on, raise your hands. Lord, be the difference. Make me everything I need to be. What I don't have that I need, give it to me right now in this time, in this season. For such a time as this, we are the ones God chose to use in this crazy season of our world in the name of jesus in the name of jesus brother i feel his spirit in this place there is a sense that we are about to birth something miraculous and wonderful for his glory we praise you lord we praise you lord in jesus name turn and tell somebody you're a world changer you may not have been in the past but right now you're a world changer you're a difference maker Come on, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are the people of God, called. And we will declare his praises in the midst of a dark world. Everybody look, listen, we're overcomers. There's a lot of bad news, don't believe it. We're getting the good, the real news. We are overcomers no matter what happens in the name of, do y'all feel a little bit of what I feel right now? We are the army of God. We are the army of God. Praise your name, Lord God. And so, Father, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. During this crazy pandemic, may he make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance and you think you are his favorite. And may he give you peace in the name of Jesus. Come on, say it out loud. I receive it. Come on, I receive it in the name of Jesus. One more time, let's lift up a shout unto God. We praise you, Lord. What are you playing? I, I...
when we see you, we find strength to face the day. Just in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Say that again, because when we see you, because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. Come on, in your presence. Lord, is in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Come on, one time, let's sing the chorus. Hosanna. 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 You are the God who saved us. You're worthy of all our children's pastor would fire me if we did turn and tell somebody i'm so glad you're part of this family we're going to heaven together and i want to live right next door to you tell somebody 